0: Acts chapter 14, we're going to be picking it up in verse 21, but let's pray and then we'll dive into this, Lord. We love you. And Lord, we know that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we thank you that you call us out of the world and into relationship with you and into relationship with each other in these gatherings that we call the local church. And Lord, I thank you for this local church, this body of believers that I get to be a part of. And Lord, I pray that that we would be a group of people who would just be running strong after you, would be modeling your heart, and would be functioning as a local church body the way you have designed. And so God, we ask you today as we look at your word to open up our hearts to what you would say to us in Jesus' name, amen. You know, during COVID, during the pandemic, one of the things, the arguments that circulated throughout society was on what was deemed as essential. What was to be open when everything else was closed? And one of the arguments for the church gathering was the conviction that the church is indeed essential. And it was that conviction, it was one of the things that motivated us as a church to start meeting in person fairly early in the process. We started our services outside on May 31st, and then by mid-August, we were inside because it was just getting too hot outside. And one of the reasons that we made to meet on the inside, had nothing to do with the fact that me as a pastor um, didn't really enjoy preaching to an empty room or preaching to a camera. And uh, in fact, early on when we first started doing that, we would pre-record the services on Thursday. So I was actually at home like you in my PJs watching me (laughs) preach to me, (laughs) which was really, really kind of weird. And so actually, on Sundays, we just said, I don't, I don't like this anymore. So we, I started coming here on Sundays and, uh, with Mark, our media sound guy, camera guy, and he and I did the service. I preached to Mark. But, but, you know, because a lot of you sit in the same place every single Sunday, I just pictured your faces, you know, <laughs> as, I was, as I was preaching. But, but that wasn't why. It had nothing to do. The reason why we decided to start meeting in person had nothing to do with how I was feeling. But it really came from, it took place after a conversation that we had with a local sheriff who told us that the calls that they were getting for domestic violence had risen dramatically. The calls that they were getting for attempted suicide was also on the rise. So it was very evident to us that people in our community were hurting and struggling. And then we started hearing about people in our own body here that were hurting and struggling. And so our conviction was then, and it still is today, that the church is essential to help people get through difficult times. And I think Paul and Barnabas would fully agree with that conviction. And that's why we saw in our last study that Paul and Barnabas, at the end of their first missionary journey, they're getting ready to go home back to Antioch in Syria. That was their sending church. But instead of taking a direct route that would go through Tarsus, which is where Paul was from, They instead decided to circle back around and visit all the cities where they have just come from, where they have been ministering over the last several months. But these were cities where they faced much opposition. I mean, they were ran out of. We saw this in chapter 13. They were ran out of Antioch of Pisidia. They were threatened with death in Iconium. And in Lystra, Paul was literally dragged out of the city, and they stoned him with rocks and left him for dead. So why in the world would they go back to those places where they faced such opposition? And there were two reasons. We talked about this last week. It was to establish the disciples... The people who had become believers in Jesus in those cities and who had become disciples. So it was to establish the disciples and to establish churches. Look at verse 21 again of our text. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that was Derby, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the who? The disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice that phrase in verse 23, that they appointed elders in every church. The word church in the Greek is ecclesia, and it speaks of people who are called out and who are called together. Jesus first introduced the idea of the church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word ekklesia is used 111 times in the New Testament scriptures. And when Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey, they set out with a goal to establish churches. You see, they knew that the best way to reach the lost and the best way to fulfill the Great Commission, which was to go into all the world and make disciples, not just believers, but disciples. A disciple is someone who is wanting to follow their master with the intent of being like them. So a disciple of Jesus is somebody who is seeking to follow after Jesus with the intent that they want to become like him. And so they knew that the best way to reach the lost and and to fulfill the Great commission. To make disciples was through the local church. So they set out to establish churches in all the cities by appointing elders, leaders in the churches to teach and to train and to tend, to care for the believers. Now, in our study last week, we ended by talking about what, what I would call the general goal of any pastor, any leader, Any church for the people, you know, in, in their church. And that general goal we saw there in Colossians chapter one, verse 28, Paul framed it this way, that it's him we preach. What are we about? We're about preaching Jesus. That's why it says on the sign out there and outside, simply Jesus. That's what we are about. To preach Jesus, to point people to Jesus. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete. Another way to say that would be mature in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So that was, we would say, that that's the goal in a nutshell, So preach Jesus so that, to warn, to teach, so that we can present every single believer, every single disciple as mature and complete in Christ. Today, I want to look at that goal in detail. And we get that understanding, this picture, in Ephesians chapter 4. This is a detailed look of what it means to make disciples. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, find your place in verse 11 and follow along as I read. It says, And he himself, this would be Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers." for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love pause there and give me your attention so Paul is giving us insight here in Ephesians chapter 4 that the establishing of the church involved establishing leadership. And when God was establishing the very first ecclesia, the very first Church, he picked certain men to lead the way. This was the 12 disciples. They were the apostles and others like Paul, the apostles, who held key roles. He identifies his leaders here in Ephesians 4 as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, in some previous studies that we have done in the book of Ephesians, um, these are available on our website. We did a series uh, in depth in 2019. We did another one in 2004. And in those, we went into great depths about in great detail to discuss the history of the beginning of the church and how the apostles and prophets were given special authority by God and calling by God to be used in establishing the early church, but also giving us the New Testament scriptures. And although there are not apostles and prophets with the same kind of authority today as there was in the very beginning that God gave to the 12 and also to Paul, the ministry of the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers is still very much alive. But we went into great detail in that in those days. I'm, for the sake of time today, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go into that. But for the sake of our time today, I want to just say simply say this, that God started his church with leaders. And today in the church, there are leaders that God appoints that get called by God. This is why Paul and Barnabas are going to every single city and they're appointing elders. These are pastors, leaders, to establish the church. What I want us to do today, though, is to focus on what is the goal What is the objective? What is the purpose of elders and leaders? What are they aiming at in the church as we see here in this passage? What is the purpose of the leaders in the church? Why do they exist? What is their purpose? What are they trying to accomplish? Why were Paul and Barnabas so focused on appointing elders in the churches? Well, we see this in our text. This is the purpose of church leadership. This is the specific task. That God has put forth. It's found there in verse 12. This is really what discipleship is all about that these, the leaders were put in place for this purpose, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means to build up, to strengthen, and to develop. It's a word that is taken directly from the world of architecture and construction, and it literally speaks of a building being established. So, in this context, it speaks of seeing believers in Jesus being established in their faith. That's what it means to edify. So, part of the goal is to see believers established in their faith. Now, the word equip or equipping is a little bit of Different of a word. This verb in the original language, it's in the Greek, it's katartismon. And we get our English words are artisan from this, artist, craftsman. It describes someone who works with his hands to accomplish things. So it's speaking of a hands-on type of um, profession. And it's interesting because this word appears in the New Testament in connection with the calling of the disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee, he sees two brothers, James and John, they're fishermen, and they're sitting in their dad's boat, and it says that they were mending their nets. And the word mending there in Matthew chapter 4 is this exact word here in Ephesians 4 for equipping. And it's interesting those because those nets, if you think about those nets, they, they didn't fish with poles, they fished with big nets. And those nets would get stretched, they would get torn, they would get dirty, and so they needed to be mended so they could be used again. So they were mending their nets... And in actuality, they were equipping their nets. They were getting their nets ready. They were fixing them up. They were preparing them to be used again. And that really is the job of the church. You see, people are like those nets. They've been torn by life. Some of you have been torn this week. People like those nets get stretched by stressful circumstances. Some of you have been stretched this week. They get dirty. Some of you have been dirtied by others this week. But Jesus is working through his church to mend and fix broken and stretched people so they can be equipped to be used by God. You know, it's interesting how in our world, our world wants to discard and get rid of broken things, right? They take broken things, they put them in a box, they take them down to the goodwill. Or they put them out and they put them in the trash. That's what the world does with broken things. But our God, our God, our Father, puts a premium on broken things. He loves to take broken people and mend them and fix them and equip them to be his vessels. And and that's why we have so many just God stories of God working in that way in somebody's life. So the purpose of the church is to take broken things and make them useful again. Notice there in verse 12, it says that they're equipped for ministry. The word in the Greek there is diakonia, rendering to help and and bring assistance to others. So, the local church is to be a place where everyone is seeking to help and serve and bring assistance to each other. Paul expressed it this way in the book of, uh, in the church, the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work, the ministry, in other words, of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Now, it's interesting in the Greek culture they had a negative view of diaconia. They had a negative view of service. They saw service as degrading and dishonoring. In the Greek culture, you sought to be a person who had servants, not somebody who was serving others. And you know what? That same mentality still exists in our world today, doesn't it? In the professional world, you aspire to be the boss, And so you want to have others who are working under you. If you are in a business, you want to climb the ladder in the business so that you have personal assistance. Everybody's aspiring to be the person who is over others, who has assistance. I don't know anybody whose aspiration is like, I want to be that person's personal assistant. No, they're aspiring. I want to climb the ladder. I'm going to be the personal assistant. One day I'm going to have a personal assistant. It's the way our world looks at things. That was the way the Greek world looked at things. But in the body of Christ, being a servant to others is our highest aspiration. You know why? Because it's what was modeled by our Lord and Savior Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for me. Jesus modeled that, that idea, that picture of, I, I've come to not be served, but to serve. Paul admonishes us in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also the interest of others let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus he's framing this for us this is what god is seeking to do in our lives is mold us and shape us and and bring us around to a place where we're wanting to have that same kind of heart as jesus Again, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So the job of the elders and leaders is to model that mindset of Christ so that we can create a culture of Jesus followers who are following the example of our King Jesus and seeking to serve one another. To create a culture of Jesus-minded people who are more concerned about the needs of others than they are their own needs. And I think this is what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, and this is how the world are going to know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me. Is good, they're going to know by, by seeing the love that you have for one another. Our love for one another is to be the defining mark of the church that when the world looks at us, they they see, hey, those people, they're they're different. So guys, that's why we're here. That's the purpose of our our services and our gatherings and all of our our Bible studies. Everything is connected to this. Everything is, is aiming at edifying, building up, and establishing believers and equipping body of Christ, in this little local body of believers, to serve Jesus. Now in our text, Paul reveals that the equipping and the edifying is going to become evident in three ways. In maturity, in stability, and in functionality. Let's consider, first of all, maturity. You know, have you ever seen a little kid that is so much desiring to be more grown up than they really are. Maybe some of your kids have done that before. I remember when my daughter, my youngest, Amanda, was like three years old. It was just after her third birthday. I find her one morning, she's in the bathroom, and somehow she has gotten into all of Denise's makeup. She's got makeup all over her face and then she's got the mascara and she's got the bottle and she's up on a sole where she can see her and she's doing this with the wand and, and she's like three and she was killing it. I mean, she was doing really, really good, you know, with putting everything. She's so much she had watched her mom do that and she so much wanted to be like, you know, be bigger. Now she's 27, a mother, and it's probably time she'd like to be that little girl again, but, uh, but we do that. But this is what we need to understand is that spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. it's a process. And our spiritual maturity is going to be seen, Paul says here, in two ways. Two defining marks. Number one, that we are becoming clear on our understanding of Jesus. Notice verse 13, he says this, Till we all come to the unity of, notice, the faith. Not faith, or their faith, but the faith. The unity of the faith is a shared understanding of the great truths, the great doctrinal truths revealed in Scripture. In fact, approximately one-half of the 38 occurrences of that specific phrase, the faith, refer not to the act of believing, but to what is believed. The faith is, is the content of the gospel in its most complete form. And the central focus of what we believe has to do with Jesus, which is why Paul says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. So everything is connected to it. He's wanting to see the body maturing and being unified in what they understand about Jesus, who he is, that he was God in human flesh. What he did, that he was the only one who could reconcile man back to God. That's why he left heaven and came to this earth and went to the cross, where he died on that cross to pay the price for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to give life to anyone and everyone who would put their faith in him. And that's why we say everything hinges on the resurrection. You see, we don't, listen to me here. We don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible said that it happened. Okay, follow me here. We don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible said that it happened. We believe in the Bible because the resurrection happened. We believe in the Bible because the resurrection is true. And all the evidence of why there's an empty tomb points to the realization, the only realization, that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Everything hinges on that. That validates, the resurrection validates everything that Jesus did and said. For instance, we believe in divine creation because Jesus said that God created the world in Mark chapter 13. Science has only validated what Jesus has been saying all all along. We believe in a worldwide flood that had happened because Jesus said that the earth was flooded in Matthew chapter 24. We believe that the, the Bible's view of gender because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 that God made them male and female. We believe in the Bible's view of marriage that it's between a man and a woman because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 that a male, a man, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, a female. We believe those things because Jesus rose again from the dead. And Jesus can't be wrong on those things and still be God. So the resurrection validates who Jesus said that he was and what he said that he was going to do is true. So growing in faith and the knowledge of Jesus is growing in our understanding of who he is. But note this, growing in our knowledge of Jesus isn't just about growing in our head knowledge, but it's also about growing in our experiential knowledge by having a relationship with Jesus. That's what this word knowledge also speaks of. It refers to a a growing encounter with the Lord Jesus himself. It's that place where we come to really, where we know him more and more, not just about him, but we know him and we walk with him. It's this very thing that would cause the apostle Paul, after 30 years of walking with Jesus, to write in the book of Philippians, I'm still laying aside everything. And this is my chief pursuit, that I might know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I think if, if we were to ask Paul, you know, Paul, I mean, 30 years you've been walking with Jesus, don't you know him by now? And he'd say, yeah, but there's so much more of him to know. And I'm experiencing him every single day. You see, Paul understood this, that the more that we come to know Jesus, the more that we become like him. And that's the second glorious component of maturing in the faith is that we are collectively and individually becoming more like Jesus. And Paul describes this in verse 13 as becoming a perfect or complete man or woman growing in the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 13, 15, he adds, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. And in those two verses, Paul is mixing two metaphors here that we're very, very familiar with. The first is growing in stature. How many of you Maybe you do this now, or maybe you did this when your kids were younger. Maybe we're doing this right now as a grandparent, but you, you, you did that thing where you took your kids into a room or maybe put them behind a door, and you marked their height you know, with a pencil on the door or on the wall. How many of you did that with, with your kids? Okay, yeah. And, and so, you know, you mark mom and you mark dad and then you start marking the kids. And every single year, the kids are growing in stature. They're getting, mom and dad are staying the same or they might actually be shrinking a little bit, you know. (laughs) But the kids, they're growing. They're growing in their, in their stature. Well, as we grow spiritually in both our head knowledge and our experiential knowledge of Jesus and walking with him and how to apply what we are learning about Jesus, we are growing in our stature. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's the goal, of maturity. But then in verse 15, Paul uses the picture of growing into the head. Have you ever seen a baby that was born and its head was like just way too big for its body? That was our son, Aaron, when he was born. Like sometimes I think, how does he hold that thing up? You know, I mean, his head was enormous. I think like to hold that big brain. My son has a big brain, you know, and but it took some time for him to to grow into the head. But that's what happens as a child matures; they grow into its head. Well, Jesus, we're told, is the head of the church. And as we grow, we are growing into him. As we grow, the body starts to fit the head. We start to resemble Jesus and reflect Jesus. So listen, this is how we measure our growth. It's by asking ourselves these type of questions. Are we becoming, am I becoming more other-centered and less self-centered? Are our lives being marked by a desire to serve and sacrifice for others? Are we becoming givers or are we still just takers? Are we seeing people with the eyes of Jesus? Are we seeking to deal with people with his heart? When they hear our voice, are they hearing his voice and his tone? A guy by the name of Mark Thompson was living in Minnesota. He suffered a terrible knife wound when somebody broke into his home. And one of the consequences of his difficult recovery was that he was going to be forced to miss his son Chris run in the state cross country championship meet. So Mark asked his brother Merv to go in his place. And according to the account in the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Mark told his brother, I can't be there to see Chris run, so I want you to be there at the beginning of the, the race, and I want you to yell loud. I want you to cheer loud. And then I want you to be there at the end of the race, and I really, really want you to cheer just loudly and make your voice sound like my voice. Well, Merv heeded his brother's advice Chris ran a strong race and finished second. But Merv discerned a deep theological truth in the process. He he thought, you know, that's what Jesus wants us to do, to make our voice sound like his voice, his tone, his heart. And so I ask you, those of us who are parents and grandparents, when our kids or grandkids are listening to our voice, How much of what they're hearing from us is reflective of the voice of Jesus? I wonder if our kids in children's ministry, as they're learning and growing about Jesus, I wonder if a lot of them are are ever thinking, you know, that sounds a lot like my mom. Jesus seems a lot like my dad or my grandma or my grandpa. Now, I know I know that there is no one person in this room who is going to ever truly reflect Jesus perfectly. None of us are perfect. We are all flawed. We are all sinners. We fail, we blow it, we mess up, myself included. But I think that the Lord would have us today to consider and really ponder this reality that, okay, this is the goal. This is the mark of maturity, is that I'm growing in my understanding of Jesus. I'm growing into the head in my stature of who Jesus is, that I am becoming more like him. That's the mark of maturity for all of us individually and all of us collectively. That's what we're aiming at. That's why, that's what we're, we're, that's why we spend so much time studying the word of God. That's the goal when we get together. It's not to play church. It's not to give a quick little pick-me-up that hopefully gets you through the rest of the week. No, it's growing, it's maturity. Secondly, it's stability that they would become grounded. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is why, again, we spend so much time studying the word of God, breaking down the word of God is because God wants to see you get grounded in your faith to know the truth to stand in the truth, to know Jesus and to lean upon him as your savior and to be so acquainted with the truth that you recognize error when it comes. That you're like right away when you hear something, some new popular teaching, you're like, that's not right. That seems a little off. I need to look into that a little bit. But I think the goal for stability is not just to not be swayed by false teaching, but it's also to not be swayed by the storms that this life throws at us. Remember the story the parable of the builder? Jesus said there were two builders, two guys that were building houses, and one built on a stable foundation, the rock. The other guy built on an unstable foundation, the sand, And Jesus said, this is what happened. When the wind and waves came, the guy whose house was built on the stable foundation, it stood, it didn't get knocked over or swayed or destroyed by by the wind and the waves. But the guy who built on the unstable foundation, his house crumbled. And then Jesus defined the difference between the two builders. He said this, the guy who builds his house on the rock, the stable foundation, is the one who hears my word and he puts it into practice. But the man, the woman who builds this house on an unstable foundation, the sand, he hears the word, she hears the word, but she doesn't put it into practice. It just goes into her head, but never goes into her, her heart. So our goal, the reason why we teach the word is to help people who are following Jesus get grounded. But listen. We can teach, we can train, we can counsel, but it's up to you to apply it. It's up to you to surrender. That's why we have our response times, is to give that opportunity to say, okay, God's speaking to me, I, I need to, to act on this. That's the difference, though, between a believer and a disciple. Is a, a disciple is someone who takes what Jesus is saying, his master, and he puts it into practice. A built-up and stable believer knows the word and lives the word. So the goal, maturity, stability, and finally, functionality. That we're becoming a functioning member of the body. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, This is what Paul is saying. The church is like the human body. It's made up of many different members, and the members have different functions. When he says that we're joined and knit together, it's like a picture of the tendons being connected to the joints and the muscles. The human body is this masterpiece of design, especially, and it's such a beautiful thing to behold, especially when it's functioning in the right way, when all the parts of the human body are doing its job. It's a beautiful thing to behold. The Bible's right when it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I don't know about you, but I love to just geek out on aspects of the human body. I just love my free time just like to read up on just the creative way that God has made us. For example, did you know that you have these glands underneath your tongue called sublingual glands? And that's what produces saliva, in fact, over the course of your life, you will produce enough saliva to fill up two swimming pools. <laughs> kind of gross, <huh? laughs> But this is what saliva does for us. Saliva moistens the mouth for comfort. It lubricates as you chew and swallow. It neutralizes harmful acids. Saliva also kills germs and prevents bad breath and defends against tooth decay and gum disease and protects enamel and speeds up wounds in your mouth and helping them to heal. All that's being done by these glands underneath your tongue that you've probably never heard of or definitely never think about. But God has placed them there, and they're doing their function. And Paul's saying that's how the body of Christ is. It's made up of these different parts. Every part has a function. Some parts are seen, like a pastor who stands up and talks. But a lot of parts are not seen. They're happening behind the scenes. And listen, this is the point. If this is your church home, you are a part of this local ecclesia, this church family. And that means you have a role to play. And your role, listen, is not just to sit in a chair. You have a role to play as part of the body of Christ. You are here to grow, yes, but you're also here to give. You are here, yes, to be poured into, but you are also here to be poured out. You are here to be blessed, but also to be a blessing. And a lot of you get this. And that's why you are connected. That's why you are in a community group or a home group or you're plugged into men's Bible study or women's Bible. It's why you go out into the courtyard because you have friends there and people that you are connected with, that that you have relationship with. And I love this. I love when I get a call that somebody's in the hospital or somebody's doing really, really bad at home and I show up at the hospital or the home and there's already six or seven of you there. I love that because those people are connected. A lot of you, in in realizing that this is why you're here, that you have a place, you're you're serving. We have over 200 people serving as volunteers in our church that that are using their talents and their treasures and giving of their time. You are being poured out. And 90% of the ministry that happens in this church and that goes out of this church happens through all of you that are serving in that way, and it's awesome. Some of you pr- are serving in practical ways that no one ever sees. You're like a sublingual gland, <laughs> bringing refreshment and healing. You know? <laughs> Others of you are serving in ways where, that, that are more seen, but the point is, is all of them are perfect. Some of you, I know, are in a place in your life right now where you can't serve the way that you once did. So the way that you serve, and I so appreciate this, is you pray. You pray for our body. You pray for me. You pray for our family. You get that prayer chain list, and you you pray through it. Others of you, maybe because of your time, the way that you serve is that you give. You give financially, and all of that is radically powerful. Paul refers to it in this way. Look at the end of verse 16. When every part does its share, this is what happens. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself itself in love. We're built up together. This is what Paul's saying. And we're built together in love. And that's how we reflect Jesus. That's how his love is seen in our lives and through our lives. And that's the goal. That's the focus. But there are some of you here who are a part of the body, but you're not engaged in community. You're you're not serving in any way. You're not in a small group. You never go out to the the courtyard. And the problem with that is nobody knows you. And so when you end up in the hospital or you end up in in a place, there aren't six or seven people at your house there to minister and to help you. Tell them I'm busy. Um, (laughs) And you know, as your pastor, I just want to say that that's you can do that. You can do that. You can just come, hopefully get ministered to, go out. All right, I'm going for another week. And, but, but that's not, you're missing out, and we're missing out. Because God has brought you here to be somebody that is blessed by the body, And becomes a blessing to the body. And so our heart is to want to help you grow in that. If you're thinking, you know, I don't know what my place is. I don't know what my gifts are. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our leaders. We would love to help you discover that. We would love to help you figure out what your place is in the body is. For sometimes it's just, you know, taking one little step of faith, like going to the Operation Christmas Child Packing Party. Starting off practically. That's how I started. I started off just setting up chairs. And through that, God does something in your life. But this is the point. This is what I wanted you to see today. This is what we're aiming at. This is what we call our pursuit of discipleship. If you guys can put that graphic up. Some of you walk by this every single day, every single week, and And it's right outside the door there, and you've never seen it. You've never looked at it. But this is what we're aiming at, is that a disciple is somebody who is celebrating Jesus, that we're worshiping together. A disciple is somebody who is connected, that they see the value of community and fellowship, A disciple is someone who is contributing, that they realize God has made me a part of his church family because he wants to to work in and through my life. And a disciple is someone who is confident in that. I know it's not me that does anything, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit working through me. This is what we're aiming at. This is our function. This is our goal as a church family. I'm going to have the worship team come out right now and Let's pray together and let's just consider this as we wrap up our time today. Jesus, we, first of all, thank you that you purchased each one of us with your blood. That this thing that we call the church even in its local form, this local church family, you're the one who built it. You're the head of it. And Jesus, we want to be those who are growing into the head that we, in our lives, might just begin to reflect you more and more. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you, God, for this body, for this family. I thank you, Lord, for the way that that I personally have been built up and strengthened by so many in this body who have loved me through difficult times and loved our family Lord, I thank you for just the blessing of being able to know you and to share you and celebrate you with others. Lord, we worship you. I'd like us just to keep in this attitude of prayer right now and I'd like you to keep your head bowed and eyes closed and just listen for a moment. You know, some of you are in a place today where you need mending. You've been stretched. You've been torn. And I get it. This world's hard. As we just take some time to just worship and seek the Lord up front or some people in on our prayer team, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to ask if our pastors who are in the room or any of our leaders, if you are here, to to also come up and and, and join these guys so we have a few more people up here. Any of our elders. If you are here today and you're like, man, I'm I'm torn, I'm stretched, I just need prayer. need somebody to pray over you, to pray with you, to pray for you. I encourage you as we're just worshiping, just make your way up. Let these folks just pray for you, minister to you. But I want to say this, that you can't mend forever. We mend and then we get stretched and we need mending again. And some of you, you're in that healing process and the, the next step of your healing is to allow yourself to be used again. And maybe some of you are sitting here and you, you realize, man, I have just been so focused on me. I want to encourage you today to just surrender your heart to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I I want you to use me. I want to be a vessel that you can work through. Maybe you want to in this time just come and kneel down on the carpet here. It's padded and just, just bring your heart to the Lord. I tell you this all the time that God resists the proud but He gives grace to the humble and and, and that is what we're doing. We're just coming in humility before Him. But let's all of us right now just celebrate the reality as we just spend a little bit of time in worship before we go our way. Celebrating the fact that Jesus is our Redeemer, that He is our Healer, that He is the one who has brought us together. He's the one who's coming back. He's the one that makes all things new. Let's be those who just are saying, Lord, we want to be your disciples. Let's worship Him, church.